It's an honor to be with you and a delight to, to be able to bring God's Word to you. And if I may, I just want to say thank you for the warm welcome that, that we have received and, and we have felt loved and, and uh, encouraged by our time here already this weekend. Our text this morning is from Mark chapter 2. Um, I shared with someone Friday night that I don't think I have a particular favorite book of the Bible, but Mark would certainly be among my favorites because in the book of Mark, it's, it's the shortest of the Gospels, of course, and it, it moves along at such a quick pace. Um, there's, there's a certain energy and excitement and sometimes a degree of suspense to the way Mark shares the accounts of, of the work of Christ as he was upon this earth. Um, you see the word immediately often, and, and Mark kind of uses that word to kind of move things along and hasten the narrative, sometimes to, to turn a corner and make a transition. Um, and as we read these early chapters of the book of Mark, it's almost like Christ is behind a curtain. And Mark just pulls that curtain a little bit back at a time with each account to show us a little bit more of who Christ is. And there's, there's energy and there's excitement as we see who Jesus is and what He came to do and what it means to follow Him. And often the, the revelation of Christ is met with awe and wonder and amazement on the part of the disciples and the onlookers. And our text this morning from Mark 2 is no exception. There's, there's power and excitement and, and tension in this passage as well as, the, as we read about the healing of the paralytic in Capernaum. So let us read this passage, but before we do, I want us to pray and ask God's blessing upon His holy word. Let us pray. Lord, we look to You and humbly recognizing our need and, and in awe of your wonder and grace and eager to learn more about who Jesus is as Mark reveals it to us. Your Holy Spirit, O oh God, has, has inspired your word and I pray that it would be illuminated to our minds and to our hearts this morning by your grace. And Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after several days, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so much that there was, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, 
we never saw anything like this. Amen. And we praise God that He has spoken to us today through His holy and inerrant Word. Back in the late 1980s and early 90s, I was a student at a Christian college in Ohio. And one thing that I remember from our chapel services in particular was, um, I, I believe it was the academic dean that would lead us in worship. And he would say something often as we um, went to prayer. He would remind us that of all of our needs, our greatest needs are spiritual. Of all of our need, our greatest need is spiritual. Now, as a young person, I don't think I ever always thought about that as I should have. And even as an, even as an older person today, I don't always realize that my greatest needs are spiritual. And I think the paralytic in our text this morning shared in not knowing his greatest need because he was brought to Jesus for a physical need, yet Christ first addressed a much greater need, the need of his heart, his need for forgiveness of his sins. And in this passage, Jesus showed this man his greatest need and in turn helps us to see that our greatest need is the need of our heart, our spiritual need. And also, Christ is revealed a little bit more to the reader of Mark. And that curtain is pulled back a little bit more to show Christ's authority over sin. He has the authority not just to heal the crippled, but to forgive sins. And I want us to see this passage under three sections, represented by the response to Christ's authority. First, we see the resourceful faith of this man's friends and how they brought him to Christ and had resourceful faith that overcame obstacles, even when they didn't understand the whole picture, yet they had a resourceful faith. Then in verses 6 to 11, we see over against that faith, the scornful doubt of the scribes. And then finally in verse 12, we see the response that we should all share, and that is one of grateful submission and joyful, awe-filled praise. Much has happened in this first chapter of Mark leading up to this passage that we've, that we've read. And, and again, the Mark moves things along so quickly, and, and things that in other Gospels are given you know, many verses such as the temptation of Christ. Mark just keeps it really short. So in the first chapter, we've seen that Jesus has begun his ministry. He's been baptized. He's been led into the wilderness and tempted of the devil and endured that and came out victorious. And he's healed many. And we see in in some of the verses in, in the last part of the first chapter that the crowds were brought to him and he healed those that were sick or oppressed by demons. And it says the whole city was gathered together at the door. And even as in verse 45, where Jesus retreated to a desolate place, still it says that people were coming to him from every quarter, seeking to see him, seeking to hear his preaching, and seeking the healing that he offered. And so it is in this chapter 2, we read that he has come to his house in Capernaum. And again, the news of him has spread across the countryside and through through the village. And so many people came that the house was filled and folks were spilling out the door. And inside, Jesus was preaching and people were pressed in to hear him, pressed in to see how he would heal those that had been brought to him. No doubt there were those that were sick and afflicted within that number. And here they were crowded in this house. And what did they hear above them? They heard someone breaking up the roof. 
probably debris from the roof started falling on and around them. And they wondered what was going on. Soon they heard the grunts of the men who were ripping apart the, the pieces of the roof. The, the original language says that they literally unroofed the roof. They tore it apart. And you commentators tell us that, that the roofs in this time period on homes were usually long poles that were set up on the walls and then sticks were woven in between those and thatch. And then it was all covered with a thick layer of mud that was pressed flat. And so it was not just something to keep out the rain, but it was something to, um, it was a, it was a, a balcony in a sense or an upper deck where they would entertain guests and sometimes they would sleep there. So it was a substantial structure that these men were breaking through. And think about it. It wasn't just like they could lower this man on a rope. They lowered a cot. They had to lower this man horizontally through the roof. So it was a substantial job that they had before them. And what remarkable, resourceful faith they had. Mark helps us to see that that their faith was noticed by their by Christ, because it says that Jesus saw their faith and then spoke forgiveness to the man. Kent Hughes points out that their faith was persistent, creative, and sacrificial. It was persistent. They could have come there and they could have seen the crowds and done like maybe you or I might have done and said, we can't get in. We're going to have to come back another day. There's no way we can get in. The crowd is spilling out the door. No, they were persistent. They had to get their friend to Christ. They would not be deterred. And they were creative. They overcame the odds. How better to get their friend to Jesus than to actually place him in front of him? Can you see these friends as they carried their, their paralyzed friend to Jesus? They're walking along. They had no doubt discussed their plan and and made a plan to get their friend to Jesus. They came there that day and the house was full. People were spilling out, out the doors. No doubt they were disappointed. Then one may have looked at another and thought, hey, we could get him through the roof. And they went up the steps and began to break up the roof. They were creative. They were also sacrificial Repairing a roof like this would be costly, but that could be dealt with later. They had to get their friend to Jesus. They had a resourceful faith that helped them overcome the challenges to get to Christ. I wonder this morning, do we have a faith like that? Do we have a faith that helps us overcome the odds, the things that stand in our way to get to Christ? Do we have a persistent faith that's not easily stymied and seeking to see God's will to be done? Are we bold in our request to God? Are we persistent in our prayers for our loved ones and neighbors that don't yet know Christ? I'm convicted by this this morning. Are are my prayers such that I really have a faith in God that He will answer our prayers? Of course, we should never treat faith as something that, that we are in control of, as though we can put God in a box and, and that He is at our beck and call. Faith is not some magic formula that forces God to do things for us. No, faith is confidence in God's promises, along with a heartfelt, sincere dependence upon Him. Knowing that He is sovereign, 
And also knowing that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 says. Another lesson I see in this text is that sometimes we have to carry our friends to Jesus. There are times when we may be so low that we need assistance in reaching Christ. Typically, this is in the form of prayer, lifting one another up, and also our physical presence and words of comfort and encouragement. I was thinking as Steve prayed this morning that, yes, our greatest need is spiritual. And, and, and many of us know that in theory. And, but sometimes in the midst of suffering, be that physical or relational suffering or what it, no matter what it is, it's kind of hard to tease out what is spiritual and what is physical because the burden is pressed in so much upon us. I remember hearing, as it, when, when I was a lot younger, hearing an older saint testify about a particularly discouraging time in their life. And they said they, they couldn't even pray for themselves. And they, they, they just prayed a prayer like this. They said, Lord, help somebody somewhere to pray for me. And, and I thought, wow, what, how could a person be that low? Well, you know, as you get older, you realize how, how that feels when you feel like you can't pray for yourself. And we need others in the body to come and say, to grab, as it were, the handle of that cot and say, you stay right there. I'm going to bring you to Jesus. I'm going to bring you to Christ who cares, our advocate with the Father who knows our need and will meet our need and will care for us. He is the God of mercy and of grace. He is the one that can heal and forgive. Let me bring you to Him. Don't look around you now, but no doubt there are those sitting near you this morning that need you to bring them to Christ. And perhaps you are that one. Perhaps you are that one this morning that needs someone to bring you to Christ. And that's what the church is for. That's what we are called to do, to love and care for one another. As Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what was Christ's response to this faith? We see in verse 5 that Jesus spoke to the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's interesting to consider that although these men had great resourceful faith, yet they didn't have a clear picture of what really needed to happen. Think of them peering down from the roof that they had just broken apart to get their friend to Jesus, thinking, wait a minute, we brought him to be healed. And he is speaking forgiveness. Or the man who's laying on the cot thinking, wait a minute, this isn't what I came for. But then, as the words sunk in, he probably was filled with amazement. Who, who is this man? Who talks like this? For forgiven of my sins, only God can do that. Nothing in the text suggests that he was there to forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, yet Christ addressed his greatest need. And this verse, verse 5, is really the hinge of the passage as, as Christ addressed his greatest need, he also established his authority over sin. And it provoked the ire of the scribes that we see in the next verses. So over against the resourceful faith of this man's friends, we see the scornful doubt of the scribes. 
notice verse 6 says that these scribes were sitting. Now, as you, as you read how Mark describes this situation, it, it seems like a standing room only crowd, and yet it tells us specifically that these scribes were sitting. Probably what happened was they were there to actually examine the teaching of Christ, and in, figuratively and literally were sitting in judgment of Him. It says that they were questioning in their hearts, and the NIV says they were thinking to themselves. They were inwardly accusing Jesus of blasphemy, because only, as, as they said, as they rightly said, only God can forgive sins. Their response was, was doubt, but it, it seems to be more than doubt. It seems to be scorn and, and perhaps even disdain. Who, who does he think he is, speaking as though he can grant forgiveness, they were thinking in their hearts. They, they didn't approach it with faith, seeking understanding. They approached it with doubt, seeking justification for their own position. And then Jesus addresses them in verse 8 with such irony. He knew in his spirit what they were thinking. They were accusing him of being a mere man without power to forgive sins, but then Jesus exercised ability beyond mere humanity in reading their thoughts. He poses a question to them, asking basically whether it's easier to heal a man or forgive him of his sins. Now, as several commentators have noted, on the surface, it would be easier to say you're forgiven of your sins because they couldn't verify that. That was unverifiable. There was no objective proof to, for them to see whether Jesus did that. Yet that is exactly what Jesus did. He was not afraid to exercise his authority and show that to them. And then he says that these, as proof, he forgives or he heals him. He throws down the gauntlet, as R.C. Sproul says, because he was claiming to be divine. Look with me at verse 10. It says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he commands the man to walk. He's saying that the healing is bearing proof of who he is. And then he really ups the ante by the term he uses to refer to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. Now, that is actually Jesus' favorite self-designation, favorite term for describing who he was. And this is the first of 14 times in Mark where he does that. And that language, the phrase, the Son of Man, goes back to Daniel chapter 7, where a heavenly being is described coming to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and being given power and authority. And it says in, in Daniel 7 that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. So Jesus is drawing on this imagery of this man, the Son of Man, who he was, to further reveal who he is and to send a message that he is God, that he is the one to be worshipped. And Jesus adds the weight of this title to the action that he's set to do. As proof that he has and does forgive sins, Jesus spoke to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man did as Jesus commanded. So it's in this, these verses that we see and understand better why Jesus did things in the order that he did. Why his actions were such. He did it to show his divine authority, 
over sin and to demonstrate who he truly is. And it was to address the greatest need of this man's heart. While this man's physical situation was was serious and beyond the help of human hands, his spiritual need was far greater. And Jesus, in his mercy, addressed his greatest need first. So we've seen the resourceful faith of the man's friends over against the scornful doubt of the scribes. And then we see the response of the paralytic. Jesus used the doubt of the scribes to actually demonstrate that he is the divine son of man, God himself who can grant forgiveness of sins. So if we look at verse 12, we see the man did what he was told to do. He responded in submissive obedience to Christ's words. And we think, why not? He had received the two best things he could hope for. He came for new legs, and he received a new heart. And he received forgiveness of his sins in addition to his healing. Remember we talked about how the book of Mark shows us who Jesus is and what he came to do and what it means to follow him. We've seen here that Jesus is God, that he has the power and authority to forgive sins. And authority always demands a response. If you've ever driven in Mississippi or you're familiar with the highway system, there's a beautiful passage of highway called the Natchez Trace Parkway that is actually governed and overseen by the Park Service. And it goes diagonally across the state, and it's a a beautiful place to drive. I've often thought it'd be a great place to ride a motorcycle. It's, um, it's wooded often on, on both sides, but there's something you must remember about the Natchez Trace, and that is that the maximum speed anywhere on the trace is 50 miles an hour, sometimes less, but the maximum is 50 miles an hour. Back in January, we traveled a, a kind of a longer, unfamiliar section of that, and I was in a hurry and not watching my speed like I should have been, and sure enough, the, the flashing lights of the park ranger appeared in my rearview mirror. And for a few minutes there, I had to surrender my authority to drive my car as I pleased to the authority of the park ranger who was there to remind me that I had exceeded the speed limit of the Natchez Trace. And it's the authority demands a response. The authority of Christ demands a response from us. Will we be like the scribes who sat in judgment of Christ, evaluating his words from a position of doubt. If, if you read all of Mark and if you read the account of the Gospels, you see um, the antagonism, and it's a growing antagonism between the scribes and Pharisees and Christ. And if we jump forward, you don't have to turn to it, but in Mark chapter 11, three years later in Christ's ministry, we see that that antagonism is still there. They are still bristling under the author- against the authority of Christ. They asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? The scribes, you see, were unwilling to submit to Christ's authority. Because what does that mean? If we submit to Christ's authority, we have to give up authority over ourselves. Will we follow the example of the scribes or will we follow the example of the man who was healed? His response is one of submission and obedience 
I was discussing this, this passage and this sermon with a pastor friend, and, and he reminded me, yes, the paralytic was obedient in the command that Christ gave to him. He was submissive as well. And those are not always one and the same thing. If you have young children, you've probably seen this. You've probably seen obedience on the outside, but a face that reveals a disobedient and rebellious heart. So my appeal to you and to myself this morning is that we would obey from the heart. The obedience of Christ's authority demands is obedience from the heart. It's humble submission to His authority over us. Here, the response of the paralytic seems to be that of joyful, heartfelt obedience. Jesus tells His disciples in chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We must draw near to Christ as this man's friends helped him to do. We should also help our friends to draw near to Christ when they struggle to do that on their own. And and we can't allow the crowded places of our lives to keep us from Christ. This is something that that convicts me, and I, I trust that you would reflect upon this as you go from here this morning. What are the crowded places in your life that make it hard for you to get to Christ? What are the obstacles that you need to work hard to overcome? Sometimes that's our schedules, our work, our our recreations, our family, those things that that crowd in upon us. We may God give us the resourceful faith and persistence and be willing to sacrifice to draw near to Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. May we not have the scornful doubt of the scribes, but let us have the resourceful faith of the paralytic and his friends, a faith that presses us to draw near in spite of the challenges that are in our path. There's so much in this final verse, verse 12. We see joy, obedience, we see submission, uh, surrender, praise, awe, amazement. And, and I wonder this morning, do we stand in awe of who Jesus is and what He has done? Are we in awe of His authority over sin? If you're here this morning and are outside of Christ and have not yet repented of your sins and trusted in Him as your Savior, I, I implore you, I beg of you to come to Christ because only He has power to forgive you of your sin. Only Christ can meet your greatest need. And if we've repented and come to God in faith, do we, do we still wonder at His goodness to us? Is grace still amazing to us? Reflect upon your own salvation and be in awe like the crowd was of Christ, standing in wonder and amazement of what He has done and His authority over sin. As we close, I want to note one more thing from verse 12. And that is what this paralytic did. What this man did 
after he was healed. It says that he went out before them all. This man whose sins had been forgiven, who had been healed, was willing to make his life a display of God's grace. He was a witness. He went out in full view of the world. It seems as though he wanted to show the world what God had done for him, what Jesus had accomplished in him. Do you want the world to know what Christ has done and is doing in you? If, if you are in Christ, your life is a trophy of God's grace. May we be a display for the world. Not that the world can say, look at how great that man or woman is, but look at how great God is and what He has done in that person, in that man, in that woman, in that boy or girl. Christ can and will meet our greatest need. And maybe, may we be eager to show His power, mercy, and grace to a world that's watching. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And thank You how it reveals Christ to us. Lord, may we have a faith that presses us to overcome obstacles in drawing near to Christ. For we are promised that if we draw near to God, that He will draw nigh to us. I pray that we would not sit in judgment of, of God and His works in a, from a position of doubt, but that we would be in a place of faith, seeking fuller understanding of Your Word and of Your ways, O God. And may we respond to the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we respond to His authority with grateful and submissive obedience. May we be bold in sharing what God has done in us through His mercy and grace. Grant us grace, Lord, as we go from this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.